You are listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more content and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. I know for Elam, this is a lot of standing up and sitting down, so we're getting a a good cardio workout. You have to earn your Christmas goodies here, I guess. Uh, A pastor friend of mine once told me that while he preached, he did exercise, like leg exercises behind the pulpit. So I I never looked at him the same way again after that, and I was just, you know, curious what's, what's going on back there. But our text for tonight comes from Matthew. This is another Christmas text. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, it goes like this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, what a miracle we have to celebrate tonight. Heavenly Father, we can't begin to fathom the depths of your love for us. But God, I pray that your word would would speak to each person here. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, God, would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Here's the main point for tonight. Emmanuel, God with us, changes everything. Emmanuel, God with us, changes everything. Maybe you've experienced this in your life, but there are certain people that when you're around them, when you're with them, and when they're with you, it changes you. You behave differently. Maybe you transform, not into a different person, but parts of your personality come out that weren't there before because with this particular person, you feel much more secure. So when I was in college, I attended Wheaton College in Illinois for three years. My freshman year, they assigned all the new freshmen to a a dorm, right? And so that was the the big thing. What what dorm are you going to be in? What floor are you going to be on? I was on Traber 2, which objectively speaking is the best floor on campus. (laughs) Traber 2. Now, I I was a super, like, 
really introverted, super shy guy in high school. And so when I arrived on campus, this was all just a shock to me, like all of these people. And it was funny, on the door of our, our dorm room, we had my roommate next to me, and he had, a, you know, he had a big old smile on his face. And I'm just sitting there like, what did I get myself into here? But I, I warmed up to these guys. I warmed up to Traber too. And these were, these were my, my friends. These were the guys I did life with together. These were the guys I went on vacations with. These were the guys that we, we pranked others with. And what I'm probably most proud of is we had a Razor scooter. Anybody know what a Razor scooter is? How old am I here? Okay. We had a Razor scooter gang. Whole crew of us, we would saddle up and you know, ride to the, to the lunchroom together. So we all had our Razor scooters. We thought we were pretty cool. I don't think anybody else did, but we definitely did. Um, but when I was with these guys, even years later, when I talked to some of my roommates from the floor, something unlocks within me. And there's a, a security that comes, and a comfort that comes when you are with someone, when you are with someone like that. Maybe you have experienced this in one degree or another in your life. In our text for tonight, Emmanuel means God with us. And what this does is it changes everything, and it does so in three ways that I'm going to talk about. One, it looses us, excuse me, I'll say this a different way, fear loses its grip on us. Number two, sin loses its grip on us. Number three, shame loses its grip on us. Fear loses its grip on us. Now, you'll notice this throughout the New Testament, that when angels show up, people's reaction is not what you see in the movies, right? They don't run to these angels and give them a big hug. They're, they're about ready to fill their britches, to put it lightly. Like, these angels are scaring them to death. Like, they're, they're terrified. And so one of the first things angels have to say is, fear not. And so they say this, the angel comes to Joseph, and it tells him, fear not, fear not. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You know, God has to speak these words, fear not, to us over and over and over and over. Because we are people who are prone to fear. And I'm sure you can resonate with this, but it, it seems to me that fear is just thick in the air. I think that's always the case to one extent or another. But I think the times that we're living in right now in particular, fear is everywhere you look. And we sense it. We, we, the, the anxiety that it creates within us drives us to do certain things or behave in certain ways or, or make certain decisions that we may not otherwise have done so. And this could be any number of things. We think of the natural disasters, the tornadoes tearing through Kentucky and, and claiming an, an entire town. You know, we think of the, the pandemic. We think of any kind of sickness that has touched either you or, or maybe someone that you love. We, we can think of fear of, of other people's expectations, being scared or fearful of what others think of us, Right? We can all identify with that in one way, shape, or form. Fear is kind of the, the air that we breathe, and it has been for the last few years, right? But here's something that God tells us in his word. 1 John 
tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love does what? Casts out fear. This word means to drive out. It almost has military connotations. So you think of a, of a warrior, God kind of taking the, the sword to the things that scare you most and driving them out and saying, you have no place here. Fear is cast out. And the reason that this can happen, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love. What that means is that God's love for us in Jesus, that is perfect. That is unchanging. It is always strong and it never wavers. And that perfect, unconditional, one-way love, what that does is it, it frees us. When we know that, that we are loved no matter what, because of everything that Jesus has done for us, that releases us from the chains of, of having to worry and to fear and to be ruled by fear, right? Think of it this way. We've got two different coaches. First off, Bobby Knight. Okay? Angry. Mad. Throwing chairs across the room, right? Fire and brimstone kind of guy. Now, here's the thing. A lot of his teams actually won games. Like, they did all right. They did pretty well, in fact. But the reason they did that was out of fear. They were scared of the man. Like, if we don't win this game, he's going to beat us up. And in some cases, that was almost true, literally. So you have this coach that maybe you perform well for, but you do it completely out of fear, right? Because if I don't, what's he going to do to me? I want you to envision another scenario. A father, a good father. We didn't all grow up with good fathers. But in this case, imagine a good, perfect father. And he has this, this boy, and he's coaching his, his t-ball team. I don't know, four years old maybe, right? He's coaching his, his little boy, and he goes outside, and he's, he's playing catch with them. And, and the kid can't, he can hardly catch, right? He can, he's barely got the hand-eye coordination. He's, he's chucking the ball, and it's not, really, it's not really working out all that well. And he, he says, all right, well, let's try to swing. And so the kid swings, and it's just, right, like maybe he connects once every, every ten times or something. But the dad, he continues with his son, and he works with him, and he, he loves him, and he cares for him, and he encourages him. And then finally, the day for the big game comes. And he squats down, and he, he says, Son, no matter what happens out there, no matter what goes on out there, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. Now go out there and kick some butt. Very different, right? The one you perform out of fear, the other you do out of freedom, out of love. Because you know you are unconditionally loved. That is what happens to fear. Fear loses its grip on us. Second thing that happens. Sin loses its grip on us. Listen to verse 20 right here. But after he had considered this, this is Joseph, he's considering divorcing 
married. Now, they weren't officially married at this point, but in that day and age, an engagement was essentially just as good as a marriage. So to break it off, you would actually have to go and get a divorce. But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Now, it's interesting because a little bit later on in this passage, uh, Matthew cites the prophet Isaiah, and the section on Isaiah says he will be named Emmanuel. Whereas the angel says to, to Joseph and Mary, he will be named Jesus. So, I mean, was did Joseph and Mary get in a fight over what they wanted to name their firstborn kind of thing? And they're like, well, he said Emmanuel. Now we're supposed to be Jesus. Well, Emmanuel means God with us. This one we know. Jesus means Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. So you see, Jesus didn't just come to be present with us, to like show up and just kind of hang out there. No, Jesus came for a very specific purpose and he came to save you. And he came to save me. Because we needed saving. What did we need saving from? It says it very clearly in this verse. He will save his people from their sin. The word sin is a dirty word in our day and age. People don't like to talk about it. They don't like to hear about it. And I think part of the reason for that is that there's a misunderstanding of the comprehensive nature of sin, of what it really means. Because most people, if, you were, if, if there's a non-Christian out there who, who is looking in at the church, right, and they hear this word sin coming at them, what goes through most people's minds is that, oh, okay, a sin is simply and nothing more than a transgression against a known law, right? So the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery, do not steal. When you break those commandments... That is a sin. And that is entirely true. That's a transgression. That's a sin. That's going against what God has laid out for us, the rules that God has laid down, his law. But sin is bigger than this, okay? Sin is more than just an action we commit. It is a condition of our hearts. That's a, a massive difference. Sin is not just an action we commit. It is a precondition of our hearts. The Apostle Paul talks about this a lot in the New Testament. He talks about sin as not just being something we do, but as something that, that exists, a, a particular way that our hearts are bent and, and warped and twisted right out of the gate. And he also talks about sin as being a power, almost as if sin is this entity in and of itself. And that right there, all of that is what God sent Jesus to save us from. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. 
He became sin. Stop right there. Pause right there. He became sin. He became our selfish hearts. He became our our anger and our our tempers. He became our adulterous thoughts. You see, all sin at that moment on Calvary was transferred from us, from you and me to Jesus, written on his shoulders and carried and nailed to the cross once and for all. He became sin, but in order that what? We might become the righteousness of God. So not only does God get all of our junk, we get all of His goodness. We get all of His perfection, all of His holiness, all of His righteousness. And so now when God looks at you and me as believing children of God, He does not see your past sins anymore. He doesn't see your checkered past. He doesn't see your failures. He sees a success because he sees Jesus. If see, God wears Christ-filtered goggles when he looks at his children. Fear loses its grip. Sin loses its grip. And shame loses its grip as well. If you read closely in the birth narrative of Jesus, you see these different accounts of, of Mary and Elizabeth There's one theme that is very prevalent that often gets overlooked, and that's the theme of of shame. So Joseph, being a righteous man, right, that's what our text says, Joseph, being a righteous man, had in mind to divorce Mary quietly. So what a righteous man had the authority to do, righteous there meaning Someone who obeys the law of Moses, right? So for Joseph to be a righteous man, what the law of Moses allowed him to do, in fact, was to have Mary stoned to death. He could have had her stoned for this alleged pregnancy by the Holy Spirit, right? He could have done that. Now, in that day and age, that wasn't normal, but he still, as a God-fearing righteous Jew, would have brought her before a judge publicly, and so there would have been public shaming going along with that. But Joseph, so there's kind of two things tugging at at Joseph. There's one is, yes, I want to do that. I want to obey the law fully, but at the same time, I don't want to bring shame upon Mary. And so that's why he wants to go the quiet route. And so for Mary to to be divorced would have been essentially taking away her means to a living because no one wanted to marry a divorced woman back then. It was an incredibly shameful thing. Incredibly shameful. And you add to that a pregnancy, it's a terrible thing. So the only way that Mary really would have been able to survive would have been through the generosity of her parents. So she would have been able to, you know, stick on with mom and dad until they weren't around anymore. See, shame is, is kind of everywhere here. And the thing about shame is that it sticks with us. It sticks with us. 
I'm going to take you back to the 1912 World Series. Anybody remember that? I hope not. 1912 World Series. New York Giants against the Boston Red Sox. The series was tied 3-3 going into the fourth game. The Giants were up by one run. Fly ball was hit between center and, and right field, more to right field. And the right fielder who really should have caught it didn't because the center fielder, a guy by the name of Fred Snodgrass, Fred Snodgrass ran and he called him off and he said, I got this, I got this, tried to catch it, dropped the ball. Long story short, as a result of this, Boston Red Sox won the World Series. It became known as Snodgrass's muff. They call a botch playing baseball muff. Now, the thing about this, though, was that for his entire life, the rest of his entire life, he was identified and known as the person who dropped the fly ball in the World Series, no matter what he did, no matter where he went. In fact, this chased him and haunted him all the way to his deathbed. So the New York Times, when they printed his obituary, it literally read like this. Fred Snodgrass, dead, 86, ball player. I'm going to make sure I read it right here. Ball player, muffed 1912 fly. In his obituary, he was remembered for his past mistakes. And that shame haunted him day in and day out. So I wonder about, I wonder about you. What are the things that, that cling to you? Things that you remember from the past. Big things, little things. Words left unsaid. Words spoken when they should have been left unsaid. Regrets. Skeletons in the closet. We don't forget them very easily, do we? But I have a good word for you today. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Not even a little bit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the verdict has already been rendered. A favorable verdict has been rendered on your behalf because of Jesus Christ. So your failures, your sins, your past does not define you. It has been cast away into the heart of the sea, never to come back again. How does that sound? Emmanuel, God with us, changes everything. It frees us from fear. Fear loses its grip. Sin loses its grip, and shame loses its grip on us as well. The reality is, we are all in the grip of something. We are all held fast. We are all influenced by something bigger and stronger than ourselves. Maybe some story, some narrative we tell ourselves, or, or, or maybe it's, it's something or someone, a particular person. We are all held fast. We are all in the grip of, of something. So my hope and my prayer for you this Christmas is that you 
would find yourself in the grip, the strong, unshakable grip of grace. All because of Emmanuel, God with us. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.